ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Brought to you by Zadok Jewelers, KFNC and KFNC HD2, Mont Bellevue, Houston. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. The summer circuit continues from the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios, live from Drift Bar in the Heights. Here now are The Killer Bees, Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's blank. I'm Branham. Joe George is out with us. Can you believe that? On-site engineering at Drift in the Heights. Ahead of White Linen Night tomorrow. They're setting up the tents right now as we speak. Neon Dreamland, White Linen Night tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. But today is going to be awesome as well. We're here until 3 o'clock. The Will House will be up after us uh, until 7. So they open the, uh, the doors open uh, early for us. So... Swing on by, ditch work a little bit early, come hang out with us. Daily happy hours, $4 Texas drafts, $5 wells, $6 house wine, $6 ranch waters. Uh, the daily happy hours for today. So come hang out with us. Uh, we'd love to see you. Also, Joe George just said that uh, if you come up to Blankers before we go off the air today, the first person that walks up to Joel Blank today and says, what up, H-Town, hey, how we doing? You get four tickets to the Space Cowboys tonight. So come up to Joel Blank, say, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? First person that does that, you're getting four tickets to the space. No, 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 let's set the record straight. Don't just come up to me and say it. Say it and bring it from the loins. Yeah. Deliver it like you mean it because we will be the judges to determine if it was good enough to get the tickets. So bring it as a true member of the Hive. Get it here. Give me a what up, H-Town, how we doing? You get four tickets to the the Space Cowboys. There you go. I want to see it. I want to see that happen today. Uh, Astros played a baseball game yesterday, Blankers, and the Astros lost a baseball game yesterday. A lot to talk about here. Let's focus on the pitching first and foremost because Christian Javier had another weird start for Christian Javier, better than the what we've seen from Javier like in you know four, five, six starts ago. He was tough to hit yesterday after the first inning. Uh, if you have a start where you only give up three hits like Christian Javier gave up in that game yesterday, four hits in the game yesterday, you're, you're pretty tough to hit. He had four strikeouts and four and two-thirds. You're pretty tough to hit. But Christian Javier, when you look at the line score, gives up three runs over four and two-thirds. Not ideal for what you thought was going to be your number two starter when you entered the, le- entered the season. No, not at all. Because when you look at this, you see so much that you can work with. There's just so much potential and so much talent that you know – can translate into what he was a year ago. But right now, that's why it's so frustrating because he's not where he needs to be or where this team needs him to be. Because, yeah, everybody can say, well, you can get you can get by if you just look past the first inning. But the fact of the matter is he has too good of stuff to have the control issues that he's having, to have the, almost the mental lapses it seems like he's having. And I know that everybody, he's so calm, he's so, so cool, he's so collected. But when you watch what he did Last night, there were so many wasted pitches. The pitch count was up. He wasn't locating his pitches when he needed to, and it hurt him, and it put them playing from behind most of the game because of that first inning and more. Yeah, to me, it was the he is his command's never been great. Like Christian Javier, the one knock has always been you know command isn't fantastic. Uh, you would walk a good amount. He walked a good amount in yesterday's game too. Four and two thirds, he walked three. And you're right, he has like non-competitive pitches at times. Like even when he's getting ahead of the count. 
uh, 0-2. It's like, okay, I'm going to throw a slider six feet off the outside corner. Not a competitive pitch. You don't want it to be a strike, but you want it to be a competitive pitch. Or like Something... a racy fastball that, that Maldi's got to really dive up in the air for. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. You, you want you want the hitter to sweat a little bit on an 0-2 pitch. Like, he has to protect the plate. Maybe you get a call whenever you're trying to nibble, something like that. And Javier's having a tough time doing that. And if you go to the first inning, too, you, you look at the location that he had with the fastball, and it wasn't – look, the first inning wasn't lack of command out of the zone, although he did walk uh, Glaber Torres right before the Jan Carlos Stanton home run. But those back-to-back pitches, the back-to-back hitters that hit home runs against him, you look at the fastball location of Giancarlo Stanton. Where does Christian Javier want his fastball? He wants it in the top third yep, of the zone. Yep. Where was that pitch to Stanton? It was middle in. It was in the middle of the zone, inner half too. to Giancarlo Stanton, and he took advantage of it. The next guy, McKinney, middle down, middle down to the lefty. Javier needs that pitch up. So, like, he finished strong. He didn't get through the fifth. You would have liked him to, see, to get through the fifth. It's still a work in, a prog- in, in progress. I'm still okay with the trajectory of Christian Javier. Like, it looks like he's figuring it out. There are some things that, that encourage me. Like, even that start yesterday, outside of the first inning, I was encouraged seeing, okay, there's some flashes of the real crush Christian Javier there. But the production right now has been an issue. And to be completely honest with you, Blankers, if you were to start the playoffs right now, Christian Javier is not one of your best four starters. Yeah, you know what? And the way they're setting up the rotation, and we'll get into it, uh, but the fact that it looks like you're bumping J.P. France – is a tough decision to make based on what you saw with Javier, where he is. And what you're trying to do as you head down the stretch to not only set up your playoff rotation, but you're still trying to catch the Rangers and you're playing catch-up. So it's a difficult situation and a difficult scenario for the organization and the team and and everybody involved in decision-making to be in because you need your best pitchers right now. The problem that's more frustrating with Javier specifically is you know it's in there. You know his velo's not down. It doesn't look like he has a tired arm. It doesn't look like you're dealing with things that we've already dealt with with other pitchers on this staff where you see that Ryan Presley went through a stretch where his velo was way down, where we've dealt with some of the issues we've dealt with. You know his fastball has still got the velocity and it's got some ride to it, but that's what makes it more frustrating because it's like, what are we doing in between starts and you know working on you know the other things to try and hone in the fact that there is enough ability there to get him where he was a year ago. I mean, I trust that they're working on it. I'm not saying they're not, but that's what frustrates you is the fact that it's not like velo down, tired arm, or things like that. There's other things he, he has to really be working on right did, now. Did, did I hear you right saying that France is being bumped? I, well, from what I've understood, that with Verlander getting into the rotation and Urquidy pitching Sunday, that they're, they're either sliding or they don't know what they're doing with J.P. France right now. Yeah. My, they haven't announced it yet. So, so who knows? But Maybe I, I, he pitches the first game in Baltimore. But yeah. it, I think they me, go to a six-man, though. I hope that's the case because he doesn't deserve that kind of a demotion. I know it's not a demotion, but he doesn't deserve to be taken out of the rotation. 4187, Spin Doctor Branham has arrived. Look, Javier has shown glimpses of being the old Javier. The production's not where, where he needs to be. And I've said that Christian Javier, playoff start right now, he's not one of your top four. He's not starting – if I'm managing the club – Playoff start tomorrow. He's not starting a game ahead of Fromber. He's not starting a game ahead of Justin Verlander. He's not starting a game against Hunter Brown, front of Hunter Brown, and he's not starting a game in front of J.P. France. This texture uh, also text in nine seven eight zero. France has to be your game three starter right now. Look, there's always going to be who, who goes game two, who goes game three, matchups, things like that. But J.P. France absolutely right this second is one of your first four starters, and Christian Javier is not. Christian Javier is fifth or sixth. He's in the conversation with Arcini trying to bump one of those first four guys. So I'm 
I'm holding out hope for Javier. Maybe it's just over-the-top optimism for Christian Javier. I think we've seen some signs of him getting back towards the old Christian Javier. But if I'm playing in a, in a playoff game tomorrow, I'm not starting him ahead of any of those four, Fromber, Verlander, um, Hunter Brown, or J.P. French. Javier right now is my number five. See, to me, he's in the conversation with Hunter Brown right now because Hunter Brown hasn't been his A1 game self either to where you're watching him. You want to see what he does tonight. You want to see where he's at in that environment, on the road in a hostile environment against a a, a desperate Yankees team. I want to see him continue to to kind of get back to what they want him to be and where we think he can be. That's why I would say there's a chance that he he could still be your four starter if the playoffs start when they start. If you were doing it right now, I mean, it's a tough call, and you want to see what happens tonight before you make a decision like that. But Javier, as much as I'm pleased that the fastball isn't the problem, mm-hmm. there's a lot to be ironed out right now for Christian Javier to be a playoff starter. Yeah, I think it's mostly the command. At least yesterday was mostly the command. The two home runs, middle in to Giancarlo, middle down to McKinney when he needs to be living up in the strike zone. So that, that's what's frustrating. Uh, Gio and OG say that uh, Javier needs to go back to the bullpen. Problem with that is we remember Javier in the bullpen and how long it took him to yeah. warm up. Secondly, how did that first inning for Christian Javier go yesterday? We sure we want that guy throwing his one inning being like that first inning when he first comes into a game. I'm not sure Javier to the bullpen's the answer. That's that's It's, it's Jake Odorizzi-esque. That's what you have to focus on is – it's once he's warmed up and settled in that he settles down. So whether it's how he warms up, how long it takes him to warm up, or the fact that maybe he's not warming up as much as he needs to to get into and get going in a ball game, that's what you have to be extremely fearful about if you put him in a ball game as a relief pitcher because you need him to shut the door immediately. You need him to either give you a clean inning or come in with a whole bunch of, of trouble on the bases or a problem situation and get you out. That's what Neris has been so good at doing this year. Yeah. That's what guys need to do in the playoffs. You can't afford to have a guy get warm while he's on the hill in the middle of an inning. You need a guy to put out a fire. Right. And Javier coming in to start an inning, or especially middle of the inning, to your example, not necessarily the guy I trust the most to put out the fire. you got to get him going right. But that's part of the greatness of the Verlander trade. The beauty of the Verlander yeah. trade is that even if he's not right, then you have four capable starters that aren't named Christian Javier. 713-780-3776. Playoffs start today. Is Javier in your four-man rotation? Quite honestly, too, the Astros, if the playoffs started today, they're in a wild-card series best of three. So Javier is certainly not in the best of three if, if I'm not even putting them in the best of four. Uh, or the best of five series, of course, you, you're going to need four starters there. Uh, walks in general frustrating from the pitching point of view. You mentioned some of Javier's, but then Kendall Graveman, uh, a two-out walk, then you get a yeah. stolen base, base hit later, Yankees have the lead, and they would hold on to that. So it's frustrating for Graveman. I didn't think Graveman pitched poorly, per se, but you can't have the two-out walks. Uh, you can't allow the stolen base. You can't allow the line drive to right field. I thought Graveman pitched better than the, the one run that he gave up, but then got the loss as well for the Astros. Yeah, look, I, I think the bigger thing is that's baseball. You lost the one-run game you had some opportunities late but the fact is what really frustrated me was the inability of the Astros pitchers to keep guys on base I mean it started with Javier who had absolutely no clue in terms of keeping guys on base but then even with a Graveman you've got to pay more attention to the guy at first in a tie ball game when you know if that runner gets in scoring position everything changes and and, and you've got to be in that heightened situation a heightened awareness of the fact you got to watch the guy that's leading off on first base and trying to at least give Maldi a, a fighter's chance to get him if he if he does go yeah, they uh, Javier not good at holding runners. He he slow to the plate, one great holding runners, and then that stolen base killed you there in that sixth inning because it led to the go ahead single. Uh, what'd you make of the role of Graveman? I, I there's two two topics I think here. 
The first one is I think that Maton's higher than Graveman in the circle of dust. Not so much yesterday because Maton pitched the ninth in a one-run deficit. But if you go back to two nights ago, they went to Maton in a tight game when Graveman was available and Graveman never even sniffed the bullpen. So I think that Dusty has the loyalty to Maton. I feel like Maton's higher on the, the circle of dust right now yep. than Kendall Graveman. Would you agree with that? Yeah, or? I would because I think that's how Dusty does his business. I mean, you've got to earn your way back in, and I think just getting Graveman back, Dusty's going to take a little bit to try and figure out where he is with Kendall Graveman and how he's going to use him. And he already knows that he's used Maton all year, and, and for the most part, Maton's been a guy that he can rely on. So for the short term, I wouldn't expect anything else of a guy like Dusty managing this team in the fact that he's going to wait if he's going to elevate Graveman. But I thought Graveman did a nice job. I mean, like I said, it's a one-run game. It's a tie game. He loses a one-run game. But, you know, the, the stolen base was key, and then the big base hit that they got, that's baseball. But overall, the fact that he was able to get an out, go sit down, come back out, start a new inning fresh, I like that because a lot of relievers don't like that, and you can do that with Graveman. That's good. And that was I'm kind of curious if that's Graveman's role too, where he's going to go an inning plus. Like he's going to come in and clean up an inning. He's going to be your fireman in the, in the fifth like he was yesterday, but he's also going to give you that next inning. So it kind of bridges to the back end of the bullpen. I, I'm personally a fan of that. I like that. It's the first time that Graveman has done that this year. I mean, now he was the closer for the White Sox most of the season, and they weren't asking him for six-out saves, things like that. But I like Graveman in the inning-plus role, even if it comes at the expense knowing that I have to hold out Graveman the next day. Like, yeah. if I go Graveman an inning and a third like yesterday, but I know he's not available today, I like Graveman in that role. Well, I'm cool and, using him in that and spot. And you have the flexibility to be able to do that because you have so many guys that are capable of being back into the bullpen guys that if that's the case, you've done that with Presley in the past too. But the fact that you have Neris and you have a Abreu and you have even a Stanek and guys that can come in and even a Maton that can come in in different roles and be kind of plug-and-play guys if you need them for a game, that's fine too. So because you have so many talented arms, you have the ability to be flexible, and if that's what the case is with Graveman, then so be it. Killer Bees live from Drift Bar in the Heights. Come with uh, from your loins. Say, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing to Blankers? First one to do that here inside of Drift Bar. We're giving you four tickets tonight to the Sugarland Space Cowboys. Blank, Branham, Joe George is out here too. I forgot to mention BMAC holding it down at the studios and that, that haircut looking fresh from BMAC. I got it up on the twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. 713-780-ESPN is our number. If you want to get in on the Astros game one loss to the Yankees yesterday, 713-780-3776. We're on the Twitter. He's at Pac-Man Joel. I'm at Jeremy Branham. It's the Killer Bees broadcasting live from Drift Bar in the Heights. Something that you need in your life. Look, there was football on last night. I don't know if you noticed that, but there was football on last night. Officially, we're going to have football all the time, every week until February. So if there's football going on, it probably need a little bit of betting in your life, right? We'll have just the answer for that. The Circa Million and Circa Survivor are back. $14 million in guaranteed prizes. Do you want to be a millionaire? Who doesn't? There's no rake either with these contests. The biggest football contest back in Vegas only at Circa. Head to Circa, enter in Las Vegas, and the beauty of it, play from anywhere. Your couch, work, wherever. The Circa Million Football Contest, $6 million in total prizes, quarterly payouts, and 100% payback. No rake. Where else can you get that? The top prize, $1 million guaranteed. You'll pick five teams against the spread weekly, and the winner takes home $1 million. Circa Survivor, we've all played Survivor Contest, playing the biggest, and win their biggest prize yet, $8 million. Simple. Pick a winner straight up, no spread, win big. Be the lone survivor, and a guaranteed $8 million is yours. Bigger money than ever before. Play today for your share of $14 million in guaranteed prizes. Contests are open now. You don't want to miss out. Enter in Vegas. Play from anywhere. Visit CircaSports.com for details.
ESPN 97.5 on FM Radio. AM is stupid. Emotional damage. 610, please. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. The Summer Circuit continues, live from Drift Bar in the Heights, your starting point for White Linen Night. From the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees with Joel Blank and Jeremy Brenham. The tents are going up now, ahead of White Linen Night tomorrow. You know what they're calling Neon Dreamland. It's going to be awesome, and it all starts here at Drift Bar in the Heights. Can't make it out to White Linen Night. Well, they got you covered every day of the week. How about a Texican Tuesday? That's awesome. Steak night Wednesday, a big fan of steak, of course, and daily happy hours, including today, $4 Texas drafts. Also, giving you four tickets if you come yell at Blankers. What up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? Um, you see who the latest whooping boy is for the Houston Astros after yesterday's game? Let me guess. Yeah. Jeremy Pena. Jeremy Pena's a whooping boy right now amongst Astros Twitter. Everybody's blaming Jeremy Pena. Look, he had a rough game. There's no doubt about that. Not going to sugarcoat it. Was 0 for 4, grounded into a costly double play. Astros weren't good with runners in scoring position last night either. 1 for 8. Seemed like they were just, you know, a hit away from kind of, you know, taking the lead, kind of controlling that game. Never came. They weren't good with runners in scoring position. Jeremy Pena was poor. Everybody's calling for Jeremy Pena to get out of the two spot. Uh, What do you make of that whole dialogue and conversation around Jeremy Pena? Well, I mean, I think if you're Dusty Baker, there's a chance really quickly here when you feel like Jordan's ready to be back in the the top three in the batting order that you can adjust and and make it happen. Um, I think Jeremy Pena's fragile, quite honestly. And I think that he feels it. I think he's pressing. I think he knows that all eyes are upon him and not a lot of people are pleased with him. And I think that as a younger player, it's having an effect on him. So I think that Dusty could actually rectify this, whether it be short or long term, and just say, hey, Jordan's back. He's ready. Because Dusty's the one that's been promoting the fact that Jordan's off a tick. He's missing a lot of pitches that he normally would be all over, or not a lot, but some, and that he'll be back soon. Well, at that time, whenever back soon becomes reality to do something, you slide Pena back down. And it's got to be a tough conversation with Papa, where he's just got to say, hey, man, look, it's not that we don't like you or don't believe in you. This is our best lineup with our best chance to win every single night. We got to move you down again. Six nine four one. The only time Pena should ever bat second is if Jordan is batting third. Pena hasn't earned the right to bat second. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. I've always been kind of torn with the Pena two spot thing because it's kind of analytics versus vibes, right? The analytics would tell you that Jeremy Pena and his on base percentage of. 291 in his career should never be batting second in a Major League Baseball lineup, period. It's kind of funny. His on-base percentage this year is actually better than his on-base percentage last year. That might shock some folks. But I'm a believer that if you don't have an on-base percentage of over 30% at minimum, I'd much rather it be like 33 34%, that you shouldn't be batting second in a Major League lineup. The vibes view, though, is, and Dusty's view, and Dusty was right about this last year, was he wants Jeremy Pena getting protection in the lineup. Now, last year the protection was Jordan. Right now that protection is Kyle Tucker. Jeremy Pena with that Jordan protection got hot late last year, rode that into the playoffs, was the ALCS MVP as we know, and was the World Series MVP as we know. So it's kind of a it's a weird situation. The numbers would say that Jeremy Pena should never be batting second. The vibes and Dusty Baker's touch, and it worked last year, would say, well, it kind of makes sense for Jeremy Pena. 
And this recent time, too, that Pena's been batting second, it's actually worked out for Jeremy Pena and Dusty Baker. I know he's had a bad, he had a bad game yesterday, and he had a bad game the day before. He's 0 for his last nine. But going into last night, Blankers, he was hitting 313 in his last eight games in the two spot. He had a 795 OPS in his last eight games in the two spot. So it had been working yep. up until the last two games where he's a combined 0 for 9. It's, it, it's a delicate balance, Jeremy, because of the fact that he is fragile mentally. And there is something where you can actually kind of tangibly put it on it that when he is in the two spot, he feels more comfortable. He has more confidence. He has better results. But you also know that, you know, there, there are, there's a time and a place for everything. And as much as it might be what he needs or where he wants to be, you also realize that you're chasing the Rangers right now. You're trying to win every baseball game. You're trying to put together your most potent offensive lineup. And right now there are other guys that are fully capable of being moved up along with the guys that you have that belong in the top three or four in the lineup that can make this lineup better. So it's a tough call for Papa, but it's something that they got to address because of the fact that you can't worry about you know, his mental stability as much as you need to worry about getting the best offensive lineman, uh, lineup out there yeah. every night. And I think right now, based on how he's fluctuated and the fact that you've got everybody healthy again, that's what you got to consider the fact that Jeremy Pena's feelings have to be set aside. See, I, I understand both sides of it. Because I, I can understand if you get Pena going in that two spot like you got him going in the postseason last year, how it makes your lineup deeper, uh, it makes you more dangerous. But, again, don't love a guy with a 29% on-base percentage batting in the two-hole. It's, it's too important of a, line, of a lineup spot to have a guy who gets on base less than 30% of the time. Secondly, it's the Jordan Alvarez factor. Like, we have a texture, 6941, uh, what is Jordan Alvarez doing batting fifth? That is unacceptable. That's the other part of this yes, conversation because you're, I agree. Jordan Alvarez should not be below the fourth spot in this lineup. Anywhere, I don't even care if he leads off. I'd rather have Jordan Alvarez lead off than bat fifth, to be yeah, completely honest with you. I think there's a happy medium to be had here, Blankers. If you're telling me that Jeremy Pena needs protection, okay, bat him ninth. Because now you can move everybody up a spot. Yeah. Look, I'm not even like moving the lineup around. Just moving everybody up a spot with the exception of Pena. I'm moving to ninth. Altuve's my leadoff guy. I'm batting Tucker second, Bregman third, Jordan fourth. And now if Pena needs protection, we'll bat him ninth, and he has the top of the order protection. Now, most nights, it might mean that Martin Maldonado's batting eighth, but I'm willing to live with that. I'm, li- I'm willing to Last live with Maldonado a three-hit three game for Martin Maldonado. First, uh, yeah. first time he's done that this season. But if you need Jeremy Pena to get hot for protection – but you don't want to have a guy that has less than 300 on base percentage batting second, okay, bat Pena ninth, even if it means moving Maldonado up to eighth every you know every three games. Yeah, it's just so important of a stretch right now for this team that you can't be screwing around worried about Jeremy Pena you know, his, and his mental stability and his emotions. You have to do what's right, and you're right. That's, that's a possible viable solution to put him in the nine spot. He should see better pitches. You know that they don't want to see that lineup turn over. But at the same time, you guarantee that your best hitters are getting that extra at bat or being in that situation where more times than not, you're going to have runners on and a chance to actually do damage. That's what you need to see. Not hitting into a double play when you have a chance to really get a key spot and get a run across in a key spot in a game like last night. I just think that that's what has to be done for this squad. I know Dusty doesn't like to do those things or like to do them so quickly. But we've seen enough right now to know at this critical juncture in the season that they need to do something differently with this lineup. You okay if Pena's batting ninth and Maldi's batting eighth? No question. I, I am too. right now. Because like, you know what the other thing is? Maldi's also not uh, ego-driven enough or, or you know, really hyper-focused on his own batting that he might 
be able to just drop a bunt or sacrifice himself to get even a better situation on the table for even a Pena and the top of the order. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I bet, I bet Pena ninth right now. And you, you, it's kind of a it's kind of a move that you're borrowing from the National League back in the day. Remember when there's yep. some National League yep. managers would bat their pitcher eighth because yep. they wanted that nine hole guy to either a have protection from the top of the order or b be that secondary leadoff guy for the top of the order and when you have Altuve who's your leadoff man who slugs Altuve has power like it'd be nice to have Jeremy Pena and I mean Pena's not hitting much better than Martin Maldonado and then look if we're assuming that Martin Maldonado catches three of these six starters probably more likely catches four of these six starters within two of those nights you know you have Yiner Diaz in the lineup that's batting seventh or eighth and then you have like a like a Jake Myers or Corey Jolks uh, batting seventh or eighth I think that's the answer for the Astros and it gets Tucker in a better spot in the two hole you know, you still have Bregman sandwiched between the lefties, and he gets Jordan back into a better spot in the lineup. He should be hitting fourth. He should be hitting second. He should be hitting third. He shouldn't be adding, hitting fifth for the Houston Astros. So I, I want Dusty to do that. A couple people here, Blankers, texting in on the HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Caleb saying Chaz should be the team's two-hole hitter uh, every single game. Mark says as good as Chaz has been in this spot in the lineup. Does it scare you to move him up to the two-hole? I kind of like his pop excitement in the bottom half. Look, I think he's capable, but again, he's still got a really long swing, and I don't know how long this hot streak's going to continue, but I think that he's good for the bottom half of this lineup, too, because of the fact that we know in the past that 7-8-9 spot, no matter if Pena's in there or not, with Maldi and Jake and the fact that it's susceptible. Look, I'll even go so far as to say as much as I know everybody, and rightfully so, has been on the Yiner bandwagon, Yiner has got to be with plate discipline and kind of understanding the, the, the situation Last night he looked kind of out of place and out of sorts and didn't seem to be real dialed in in a really key stretch when he came up with runners on base. I, I need everybody in that lineup to kind of be in a spot where they can be at their best. And from the standpoint of Chaz McCormick, I don't need to move him up any further or tinker with him yeah. too much. I like him more middle down in the lineup. I like him where he's at. I, like if, if you moved everybody up a spot, move Payne to the ninth, Quite frankly, I want Altuve, Bregman, Tucker, Jordan, any combination you choose to be my first four hitters. I would probably like Chaz ahead of Abreu, like Chaz fifth, Abreu sixth, but I don't hate. I'm not going to die on the Abreu fifth, Chaz sixth argument or hill. So uh, that's that's what I would do. Move Payne I mean, to the nine hole, bump everybody up a spot, I, keep Abreu and Chaz and what they're doing. But you'd be, you'd, you'd be moving them up a spot too. I don't know if I'd ever say this in years past, but I like the fact that Abreu's more of a, an, an average hitter, hitting for average and can hit all, in all fields, whereas Chaz has more pop. And Chaz is a guy that's got some pop later in the lineup. Three two nine four. Stop calling it a hot street, Blankers. Chaz is putting together a season. He is, but I'm not. But okay, and I'm not denying that. But I think right now, even for him, he has been just on a heater. And you don't know how long that level of power and everything that he's putting and bringing to the table can consistently last. But that's why I don't want to tinker with him. Leave him down in the bottom half of the lineup where he has excelled. Yeah, I like him cleaning up the, the heavy hitters, honestly. Yeah. like you, you can make the case, move him ahead of Abreu. But, again, not an argument that I, I think is worth having. 713-780-3776, you want to join in. Or you can come hang out with us at Drift Bar in the Heights ahead of White Linen Night Neon Dreamland tomorrow. So, C.J. Stroud, is he QB number one? Also, we, we've heard about this Bobby Slowick offense, right? We've heard how complex this scheme is. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. I like a good drink at the end of the day, especially a Friday. Usually on Friday, it means more than one. Vodka, gin, bourbon, all part of that rotation for me. And Gentle Ben Spirits does it better than any one else. How do they do it, you ask? Well, they're revolutionary Perseido technology that eliminates impurities for the cleanest, smoothest spirits that you'll ever taste. 
Purification of Gentle Bin is unrivaled. You'll love what's not in it. Try a sip of Gentle Bin vodka, gin, straight bourbon, or cask strength bourbon and compare it to what you drink. You will never go back. I've been a Gentle Bin man ever since I had that first sip. You get all the flavor and none of the burn. It is so smooth. It is so clean. It eliminates the burn. Enjoy your drink. Don't work through your drink. Look for Gentle Bin at the liquor store on your way home today. Ask for it at your favorite restaurant or bar or just head to the Gentle Bin tasting room this weekend. Also, if you're headed to an Astros game, stop by Ben's Bar right when you walk in the Union Station entrance, just to the left of the Crawford boxes. Also, head to Gentle Ben on Instagram, Facebook, and register to win tickets to the Astros-Yankees game in early September. Gentle Ben, the secret ingredient is what's not in it. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 at work, in the gym, and in the bedroom. I've seen the huge difference it's made for you in the gym, at work, and in the bedroom. You're back inside the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios with the Killer Bees, Joel and Jeremy, live from Drift Bar in the Heights. Killer Bees live from Drift Bar in the Heights. They're getting it all set up. You know what weekend this is in Houston. It's a white linen weekend. White linen night here at Drift Bar, a neon dreamland. Looks like a fun time just by uh, looking at the landscape outside. This is your start. This is your uh, there's your spot for it and your start for white linen night as well. You want to be here at Drift Bar tomorrow. If you're coming out today, yell at Blankers, what up H-Town, hey, how we doing? We'll give you either four Space Cowboy tickets or a high five. And you can also have a $4 Texas Drafts, $5 Wells, uh, today's daily happy hour. Come out on a Tuesday, Texican Tuesday. Come out on a Wednesday, a little steak night Wednesday. Joe George is actually very cold today, so he said he'd actually, if you do the right what up H-Town, he'll give you a hug free of charge, and he might even hang on for a little bit. I might give you a beer. I'll buy someone a beer. Well, you're not drinking them because you're chilly. Uh, I'm still gonna drink beers at some point. <laughs> you hot beers, cocoa. That's, that's you never, want some hot cocoa. That's never stops. You don't. Joe you don't. George. You don't drink beers when you're cold. You drink them all twenty four seven. It's always beer o'clock. Is it beers? Is that plural? It might be today. Yeah. Okay. What's wrong with beers? I played baseball in college with a guy that was adamant it's beers because if he went hunting and he saw multiple deer, they're deers. Oh, goodness. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, he didn't graduate. He used up his eligibility and he went home. No, I meant beers as in multiples. Yeah, I, I understand. I so don't what, think he did. That, that's, a, that's an interesting conversation. Like, would it, is it three beer or three beers? It's beers. It's beers. Yeah, it's beers. For sure. I know that it rhymes with deer and deers, but no, I would say three deer, but I would say three beers. You're, you're, what would you say? We got to go get some beer. But if you said I had, th- this is the whole RBI. RBI this is like, no, this, <laughs> this is, and I don't okay, want to get the list. But it, but no, no, techni- technically, it, it's not because it's not an acronym. Okay, I got this. You come home to your wife, and she said, "How many beers yeah, did you drink?" Exactly. And you say, "I had three beers." Exactly. And but if you came home from a weekend of hunting, and your wife said, "How many deer did you kill?" You say, "I would kill three deer." Yes. Deer is, deer is plural and singular. Yes. Beer is singular. Beers are plural. See, if you didn't know that, Twitchers, because I'm guessing most of you didn't, you learned something today. 713-780-ESPN. Is beer singular and plural? Or is beer singular and beer singular? That's what we do on the Killer Bees. Three Bs, B, or just kidding. Uh, Can we get Carl Ravitch on the phone? This, it's not the same. <laughs> I know it's not. RBIs is an acronym. BMAC, always wrong about that. Um, I'm <laughs> throwing strays at BMAC. My bad, BMAC. Um, Bobby Slowick's offense, we're hearing from everybody's complicated. 
Uh, Damian Pierce said it's like the Bible, <laughs> which is a great quote from Damian Pierce. All the other offensive players that are talking say, yeah, it's a very complex scheme. Uh, is, that a good, is that a good or a bad thing for the Houston Texans? Is it a good or a bad thing for the Houston Texans when you throw in the, uh, the wrinkle that C.J. Stroud's probably going to be your starting quarterback? Well, it's a bad thing early on. I think it's going to be a good thing as everybody gets more comfortable and acclimated with the system. And, and granted, it might take more, a year or so for everybody to feel that way. But I think that in the long term, it's better than the vanilla, white bread, starched offenses that we've seen from Bill O'Brien and company over the years. You get to a point where it's really, really tough because of the fact that you're dealing with a rookie quarterback in his first opportunity to be a starter, and he's trying to learn that playbook and absorb all of it and then put it to good use. So I think that in the short term there's going to be some lumps to take, and it might look like a bad thing. But I think overall in the long term, this is the kind of modern-day offense you need to be running, and I think that the, he's you got the right guy to put it in place. You just need the pieces to kind of get a little more comfortable. I, 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 I'm going to echo what you said. Uh, and some, I mean, Bobby Slowick talked about it, too. He's like, look, I, I don't think that it's that complex. It's more like having counters for what the defense is going to do. Like, you're going you're gonna to install your base offense. You're going to have things that you do, and then whatever a defense is showing you, you run different schemes off of that. You have counterplays off of what the defense is doing. Or you're countering, showing a different approach for how you want to run the the stretch game to the right tackle, and then maybe flipping it over to the other side. So I think it's more of having like plays stacked on plays, where you have like one scheme, and then you have three or four different counters. Or a defense is going to show you something, and you have a counter for that. So I, I think that while it's complex and there's a lot of learning early, I think once you kind of get the hang of it, based on how Slowick was talking, even some of these offensive players, that like it's starting to click, we're starting to fill it. I do think that long-term it's good. I think long-term it's going to be good for C.J. Stroud. And we've heard that Bobby Slowick has a, a, an offensive sch- scheme and system that is very quarterback-friendly. I don't think it's going to be quarterback-friendly early because of the complexity of it, but I do think it's going to be an offense that does benefit C.J. Stroud long-term. No, I really do, and I think that he will really love it as he gets acclimated to it and gets a grasp of it. Now, it's going to seem like the worst exam that you, no matter what you did, you never studied hard enough for, and it's going to be really frustrating at times during the course of this season, but I think that overall when he realizes and gets a grasp of it, how good it can be for him, how many different options he's going to have, how it's going to give him his full complement of plays that can really not only accentuate his abilities but of everybody in the offense. I think, you know, over time he's really going to love it and understand it and know that it's the right system, but it's going to feel like hell for a lot of these first couple weeks in, in this first season. I guess it's not the Kyle Shanahan offense then? Because the Kyle Shanahan offense, Brock Purdy ran it last year. Like I, I know yeah, Brock Purdy, Purdy Bur- was credited for being very high S two E S two E and he played a lot at Iowa State. Like he was a like a three or four year starter there, so he played a ton of games. Like you know a very pro style offense more than what C J Stroud did at Ohio State. But it's like you've seen rookies have some success, but a lot of these guys struggle. Like anyone that's run like the the Lafleur system in Green Bay has struggled right away. Even even Rogers' first two years were not good in Green Bay. We saw it last year with Fields. We saw it last year in Denver with Russell Wilson. Like, there's just certain offenses that take time. I just, I hope it only takes a season. And I understand what you're saying, Joe, but I also think that it's a lot easier if you're Brock Purdy and you know there's a Debo and there's a McCaffrey and there's an Ayuk and there's, you know, uh, you got your back covered at all times with Trent Williams and the offensive line. And Kittle, yeah. Yeah, and Kittle as a tight end. And you can just really quickly get get out of the way. 
I think that when you're looking at Stroud with the fact that we already know how weak the receiver room is, no matter how good Dalton Schultz may be or Pierce in year two, you realize, and what they've spent on the offensive line, with this kid coming into this system versus if you put him in the Niners system, I think it's a different story. Also, Purdy had the benefit of watching for 12 weeks. He, he didn't play until week 13, game 12 for the for the 49. That's three months. Yeah. Like, that's three months after the start of the season to be sitting there and learning the mistakes of Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, seeing what they're doing in a week-in, week-out perspective against defenses. So Brock Purdy had the benefit of having three extra months than we think that C.J. Stroud's going to have. So, like, I think C.J. Stroud's going to be much better weeks 12 through 17 than he is weeks 1 through 11. So I think the Purdy aspect helps there. I always felt like the Shanahan – like, Shanahan ha- Shanahan's complex. I think his offense is complex. Like, you have dudes in motion all the time. You have Debo Samuel lining up in the backfield. I think he has a complex scheme, but I think it is quarterback friendly. So yeah. if Bobby Slowick has a complex scheme, but it's quarterback friendly, I think it's the best of both worlds. Yeah, look, and I think that, to your point – Having a seasoned veteran, no matter how much you believe or don't believe in Jimmy Garoppolo, that you can watch on the fly, like live action, you're understanding what his reads are, what he's doing. That's the biggest point of all, the fact that he was able to just be a student, sit and watch for a majority of the season before it was turned over to him and said, now you can do it too. And then also, to to your point on the complex system, but if you're the quarterback and you know the play, and you know as much as there's guys in motion and things that are going on, as long as you know get ball from point A to point B and do it either with a quick pass or do it by flipping it to this guy right as the, right on snap, it's still a simplistic offense for the quarterback if you're getting rid of the ball quickly. Where it gets more complex is if you've got to make plays happen, know the progressions, know where these guys are going to be interchangeably moving, that's where it gets more difficult. 713-780-ESPN, their HRMP text line, 713-780-3776. A.B. asks, uh, what's the Killer Bees' take on shrimp versus shrimps? Scrimp. Mine is get in my belly. I love shrimp. Yeah, I, I love it, so too. so good. Yep. But, but it's shrimp. It's not shrimps. Uh, 713-780-3776. Uh, reports are that C.J. Stroud took every snap with the ones today. Is that a sign for what's to come? Also, Quesenberry's out for the year. Torres ACL, MCL. Looks like Juice Scruggs is going to have to be the day one at center for the Houston Texans, and I have a major offensive concern centered, no pun intended, around that. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Live from Drift Bar in the Heights, your starting point for white linen night. It's the Killer Bees with Joel Blank and Jeremy Brennan. Killer Bees. All start for the bees at the drip bar in the height. That's okay, though. Uh, we want everybody to come yell at Blankers today. What up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? If you do that, you're the first few that do that. We might have a prize for you. If, uh, if you're not a couple of the first, which may or may not have already happened, we will give you credit, though. We'll tip our cap to you, maybe even a high five. Blankers has volunteered Joe for hugs, which I understand is good business. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. So C.J. Stroud apparently running with the ones today. D.J. enemy was out there, our, our guy, Cole Thompson, our gal guy, he was out there as well. All, all, everybody reporting uh, Stroud running with the ones during all the team periods. First time that this has, uh, that has happened. Like, we've seen a lot of rotations. Uh, C.J. Stroud doing it today. You think it's a sign of things to come? Is he yep. running with the ones when the, the Texans play their first preseason game next Thursday against the Patriots? Yeah, whether it, it happens by then or not, we talked about it. As long as it happens before week one of the regular season, 
It's the right move to make. It's the move that's inevitably coming. And the only one that really I think it would be any kind of shock or, or disapproval with it will be Davis Mills because you drafted this kid for this very reason and because of the fact that you realize he's going to take some lumps, but he's going to learn along the way and get better. It's exactly what you need to do. So I get it, that especially with what we've seen of the Texans in the past. This is something that they like to keep close to the vest. They like to say it's a competition. Bill O'Brien even went so far as to start Tom Savage for the first half of the first game when you had Deshaun Watson. But hopefully cooler, smarter heads will prevail, and this will be done before the first regular season game. But this is what should be happening, and this is the fact he should be getting as many one reps as he can, and so the sooner the better. I always feel that's the best comparison we have to, like, a quarterback controversy recently in this city. But the the plights of both teams were so different then. Like, remember the Texans were coming off the playoffs, and the Texans now are coming off 11 wins in three years. So, like, back then it actually made more sense to start Deshaun. Like, if you had playoff aspirations that year, and you should have because the Texans were coming off the playoffs, then how do you tell everybody else in that locker room that we're going to bench the best quarterback on this team and then immediately make the change? It was weird. Like, this year, you if you wanted to, and I don't think it's going to happen, I think Stroud's the quarterback number one next week with the Patriots, and I think he will forever be a, for a while unless there's some sort of injury. You do have the luxury with the way that you're currently built to hold Stroud back if you felt like he wasn't ready. Like, if you think week one against the Ravens, he goes out there and the Ravens destroy him and it's not good for his development – this team, unlike that team, has the luxury to play the long game more than that one did. You do, Jeremy, but at the same time, you also realize that you're going to have a lot of people with a lot of eyes on you pointing the finger going, you drafted this kid, you said he was your franchise quarterback, this is what you wanted all along. The guy that you're trying to replace him with is someone that you already seen and know too much about to say he's the guy that should be doing any of this. And the only thing that really changes everything is that black cloud we've been talking about is the fact that with that trade and that pick, there is a little bit more of a sense of urgency to win right away because you know what the track record is for first-year rookie starting quarterbacks in this league. But I think that overall with everything on the table and the fact that this is the guy that's supposed to be the guy, you get him out there, you get him, and you're not throwing him to the wolves because you do have protection for him with the offensive line. He has some things to work with. And because everybody's learning the system together, I don't think he should be sitting on the sidelines with a clipboard. He has a better offensive line than Deshaun did. Oh, like, no doubt. To be, Absolutely. To be completely honest, like that's the flip side of that conversation as well. Um, Scott Quisenberry tore his ACL yesterday. He's done for the year, which is unfortunate. Um, a lot of people are saying that he wouldn't have been the starter anyways. I, I disagree. I actually think Quisenberry would have started the year at center, and then they would have looked for a way to get juice into the starting spot after a few games, maybe a month or two into the season. I don't think that this is great for this offense early. We just talked last segment about, you know, how complex is Bobby Slowick's system going to be, and Damian Pierce called his playbook the Bible, and other players have said that it does have a lot of complexity to what Bobby Slowick is doing. And now, look, we already know the quarterback position is the most difficult offensive position from a, like a game plan point of view, knowing what the defense is doing point of view, knowing the routes of every single one of your receivers, everybody that's going out for protection. Like, playing quarterback at the NFL level for a rookie is a very mentally challenging thing to do. I would argue that the center position is the second most difficult from a mental game prep point of view. And now that the Houston Texans are going to have, we think, C.J. Stroud starting at quarterback, Juice Scruggs probably starting at center, 
I, I think you're going to see some early woes for this no offense because you have two rookies at two very important IQ positions. This is also, Jeremy, the exact opposite of the conversation we just had because you're not talking about your franchise quarterback. You're talking about, and you don't have uh, a veteran center on the roster that's been there, done that, and been really good for a long period of time. Juice Scruggs was a guy that might be the guy down the road, but there's no reason to force feed him into the starting lineup when it's so important to keep that franchise quarterback upright and do all the things, whether it's slow trying to do different things with the offense or just protect your quarterback first and foremost. Juice was not the guy that should be in the lineup and be charged with doing all these things immediately. That's why I think that if you're Nick Casario, you should already be on the phones. You should be looking at rosters where they have centers or they are trying to get more of a franchise-type center that's going to be their long-haul center for the, for the next several years into the mix. Then you look at maybe the chance of picking up someone that you can get early in training camp in the first two weeks of games and still get him acclimated in time for the regular season. It's too important of a position in the situation the Texans are in to just immediately turn it over to Juice Scruggs and say, we're not yeah. looking for somebody else. I just don't know if there's a street-free agent that's out there. Like maybe, But see, that's just the difficult part about it. Like You could probably find a player after the cuts, but now that the cut is all done at once and it's all very late, yeah. it's going to be very hard to bring a center in and get him ready for week one. Like Juice would almost be a temporary fix until you get that guy up to par and ready to play. But at that point, you probably just want to continuing play, continue to play Juice. I think, I think you're pot committed. I think that you have to start. I think you have to go with Juice and just learn on the fly. Now, I think it's gonna you're gonna see some major growing pains in the first two, three, maybe four games because of it. But I think you have to do it. I think, but I still think that there is time if they do want to see if they can get a veteran, maybe on the uh, on the back backside of his career, but still capable. Because I think you pointed it out. I think the second most important position in any offense, but in today's NFL, after the quarterback. The center is making reads and helping the quarterback to read defense is not just the Mike linebacker and doing things to kind of adjust the offensive line accordingly. And I don't think Juice Scruggs is ready for all that just yet. And he's got as, as big of a learning curve in a lot of ways as C.J. Stroud. I think that you have to scour other rosters and, and look at teams that drafted a center quite high in the last two years maybe. See who's out there. Maybe there's a contract that someone else isn't really geeked about paying. Yeah. And figure out if there is a possibility to bring a veteran in, because I think that's a lot to ask and absorb of a guy like Juice Scruggs. I'm with you. That, that's probably the route that you have to go, because I don't. I don't think you can wait for the cutdown date, because now no. you're looking at the final week before the season. Like the the way that the NFL does the cutdown date now, where they do it all at once. You go from 90 to 53 overnight, whereas opposed you used to have the gradual cuts. You, you probably could have gotten away with it then if you wanted to go that route, which totally understand going that route. It would have to be for a trade. But if you're going to make that type of trade, what is the most you're comfortable sending for a center that ideally you only want to play three to four well, games? But I think Start it, three it depends games. on the situation of the team you're dealing with, too. If the team knows they're going to end up inevitably unloading a guy, but they know they can score a pick for him, even if it's a later-round pick, if i got to give up a fifth-round pick, I'm, I'm still having that conversation because I know the importance to my team. And if the team that is looking at but not giving, you know, keeping its cards close to its vest right now, but really basically saying, we're not going to play this guy. We know it because we're going to go in a youth movement. We're going with a guy that we were very high on in the draft. Then maybe you, you justify all of it sooner rather than later by saying, yeah, we gave up a guy that we used to really rely on or that we really liked, but we've got a guy that we like more that we're trying to get ready, and we get a draft pick in the process. It's a win-win. I, I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen Nick Casario make a move already because I think there's a name out there that like makes a lot of sense. Starting center for the Tennessee Titans last year, 
Ben Jones? Ben Jones. He's a free agent? Ben He's a free before, agent. Yeah. They had the conversation. It was retire or be released. They released him. And he was on a station in Nashville, it looks like, about a month ago or a couple months ago. And he said he's not sure what his future is, but he's not ready to rule out or return to the NFL. I'm making the call. Like, that's yeah, a guy yeah. that, like, this organization didn't draft in 2012 or, like, this the, the GM didn't draft. But he was a Houston Texan. He played in your division last year. So you are familiar with his work. He is, like, that perfect stopgap. A 34-year-old veteran center comes in, see what he can do. Like, that to me seems like the easiest solution of all time. No, it's a really good call because you, in that scenario, you don't have to give up anything. You can really kick the tires and see if he's capable of doing what you need him to do. You know it's not long-term, but he picks up another check and gets a, a nice chunk of change, and he becomes big brother to Juice Scruggs while he does what Bobby Slowick needs him to do for the betterment of your, your new quarterback. They did sign DJ Scaife yesterday. Not move anybody's needle. He's nope. a rookie, undrafted free agent tackle. What about Justin Britt? What about if we're gonna if we're gonna kick the tires and former Ben Jones? This yeah. is Justin Britt. He Nick Casario brought in Justin Britt. Yeah, he Nick stinks. Casario gave Justin Justin Britt a uh, a contract. Maybe Justin Britt has all the personal demons figured out, and you can bring Justin Britt back to save the Houston Texans offensive line after that uncomfortable situation of a year ago. Yeah, I just don't think that's the right scenario or the right guy. I was kidding. Now yeah, Ben I, Jones, Ben Jones does make some sense. Now the the scheme thing is interesting because like what it was, you know, scheme fit isn't as important. For uh, you know, I mean, it's pretty important for an offense. I was going to say then like defense, which I agree on, but like maybe Bobby Slowick knows somebody that he likes. Maybe like a 49er backup is somewhere out yeah, there. If you know the system in. already that Slowick likes to run, that's a huge bonus. That's that's a that's where you might be even more t- uh, enticed to give something up to go get a guy like that. But get a guy that's already familiar with. The, the, the kind of base system that Slowick runs. Yeah, I don't love Juice being going week one just because either. of the just because of the position and the demands of the position, especially when you have a rookie quarterback. Like I think it'd be a little different if you had Aaron Rodgers, who's so good at the quarterback position and is so smart and is so brilliant and is a hero to all of us. Like it would be different there. But whenever you pair the two rookies together and you have a rookie duo at two critical high S two E positions, it's something that's concerning. And it's also kind of funny too. You're going to have rookie center. Probably, unless they do something, I don't think I, I don't see them doing that. Like they drafted Juice Scruggs in the second, I think they're going to end up throwing him into the Wolves. Good decision, bad decision. We just talked about, but it's going to be interesting having a rookie center, and then you have Kenyon Green who had a disappointing rookie season, but then you have Shaq Mason who you traded for and extended, and then on your your left tackle and your right tackle, highest paid left tackle at the time with Laramie Tunsil, and then a top five paid right tackle in Titus Howard. So you go from like money, money, high draft pick, trade money. A rookie dude that you drafted in the second round. Uh, I hope it's not a, a major hole for the Texans. I'm worried early in the year uh, that it might be. 713-780-ESPN. Killer Bees broadcasting live from Drift Bar in the Heights. Swing on by. Tell Joel, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? All right, am I crazy for this? Most people are already saying yes. Is, is Am I crazy for thinking that the Texans have a certain build to their secondary that reminds me of a certain team? What does this Texans build remind you of? Are there teams in recent memory that you think of when you think of these young Houston Texans? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5.com. I'm hungry. I'm going hungry. Going hungry! 